Welcome to the AFL Aholic Show. Your unofficial AFL show starring free unprofessional idiots talking a whole lot of garbage. But if you do enjoy it, make sure you chuck it a like. G'day and welcome to the AFLaholics podcast and good on you for listening to a couple of bananas just having a yarn about a very special game to us. And joining us this week is our good mate Lockie who filled the void two episodes back and we've also regained our main man Tony this week. The game Friday night between the Dogs and the Melbourne Boys. What's our four on it? Thoughts? Hey, I think you forgot to mention me as well. Um, Marto here. So I'm also on the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so welcome lads. We might as well get everyone to say good day. How are you going today, Lachlan? Yeah, good thanks guys. Good to be back on the show. So um had a good time last time covering off for you, Hayden. So it's good to be part of it with you at the helm. So yes, let's do thank it. Thank you. I very much so appreciate you filling that void. It's a big void to fill because I am a big boy, so I appreciate uh you getting in here with your skinny lanky frame, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Friday night, boys. The uh, Dogs versus Melbourne game. What was your thoughts on it? Yeah, Melbourne just too strong. Um, went as I expected. Uh, hi, everyone. Tony here too, by the way. I didn't introduce myself before. But yeah, good to be back after having last week off. Um, but yeah, Melbourne, I think, are just a class above. Um, dogs were obviously missing Dunkley and Chalor, so they're midfield. Probably a little bit under strength, um, but yeah, Melbourne just far too strong, far too good. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up quickly. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think Melbourne came out the blocks really, really quick and caught uh, the doggies off guard a bit. I think I think the doggies yeah. um, thought they were going to warm into it and just control the game like they usually did. Uh, it was a bit of an anticlimax with the zero crowd. So, what did you think, Marty? Yeah, I thought it was a ripper game. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing the dogs lose, to be honest. So I thought I saw me personally. I, I could only see really Melbourne winning this game. I've got a bit of a theory, which was kind of, I guess, validated uh, watching Friday night, where I think the flat, the Bulldogs are somewhat a little bit of a flat track bully, where they're best like in the AFL when they play against an, a team that's not up to standard they're the best at putting them to the sword and just destroying them and I think the dogs before this game they were number one in defense in the competition for scores against but when you actually look at their games I actually think their best form or defense is attack so when they come up though against a good side um, that puts on some pressure um, that brings a bit of extra quality and can really match them or um, show them up or give them a contest in the midfield. I think they aren't as strong. So they've only lost a couple games this year. So, but they were to, you know, Richmond, um, who are just in the eight kind of thing. And now they've lost to Melbourne and Melbourne had the number two defense in the league. But I actually think their defense is actually really solid. When you look at the players that they've got in there with May and Lever and earlier in the year, Tomlinson, who's obviously not there anymore, but the structure that they play and even just um, watching a few uh, seeing reviews of of the game, and you can just see how Melbourne bossed it, how they forced the dogs to to play on their terms. They may just was a general in the back, and their team defense and their team structure was just way too much for the doggies to handle. And the result, um, yeah, played out. I guess uh, at least for me, as expected. So well done to Melbourne, and rightfully the premiership favourites now. 
Yeah, well, should the doggies be worried about that loss, though? I, I think there's definitely something. I don't know about worried about, but it definitely um, gives them a bit of a wake-up call with where they are with their season and to show, like, when will their will their footy stand up in finals? Because the games or the big wins that they've had, you know, recently against your St Kilda um, and your Carlton, or Carlton wasn't even that big of a win or whatnot, but a few of those sides aren't, you know, finals quality. Like, good, good on them for beating Port Adelaide as well. So that was a good win by them. But in general, I think when it comes to your contested style, hard style of footy in September, I don't know if their game style will stand up. They'll definitely have a bit more personnel back, which will definitely make a bit of a change or a bit of a difference when you've got, you know, high quality players like your Dunkley, uh, your Trelaw, and their other injuries back in. So um, I think they've got enough time in the season to kind of, you know, work on their game plan and figure out what they can tweak or how they can improve or change it up to really... uh, to really take it up to those big teams there. I, I genuinely think the loser of this game is kind of like the biggest winner in a sense because you learn a lot more from your losses than you do from your wins. Person, like it's true. From what you, you see with champion teams at the moment, those who lose those games generally play 10 times better the next time they verse that team and take them to the... Unless they're Geelong, you know, they can't really back up there. Um, go back to back with a, a loss against a team. Never. They, Never. They, they generally win during the season when it doesn't count, unfortunately. But I feel like the dogs will next time they get them. I think they'll they'll really get them when it counts. I don't know. I think Martin made a very good point and summarised the game up really well. Um, but yeah, dogs for me still their defence, like actual key defenders, is what I think will hold them back come finals time. Um, like, obviously, Tom Lynch tore them apart, and then when they come up against Geelong, they're going to have to try and stop Hawkins. Sydney's got Buddy Franklin. Port have got Dixon. I think still that's a big concern, and Alex yeah. Keith just doesn't look like he's capable of holding down the big forward. He's played a pretty good season to date, though. Keith. Yeah, he has, but more, more, he's playing more offensive, like intercepting, playing zoning yeah. off. But they don't really have a shutdown key defender, which... Yeah, they need. They need one of them. It's not yeah, I think his yeah. ability to Unless do they... that has been off the back of some really good uh, midfield defensive pressure and forcing a rush kick inside 50. Um, but on this occasion, they got their own medicine served up to them, I think, and uh, Melbourne really gave it to their midfield and really they struggled. So when you get really good forward entries into that uh, defensive back line, I think, yeah, as you said, Keith really struggled in that sense and didn't have that opportunity to pick off the skew balls, um, and they don't, very, they don't bat very deep in the key defensive pillars back there. Well, I think that's, where, like, I think that's where, like, obviously the game was won, obviously, in the midfield also. Like, also, um, they did a bit of a tagging role on Libertore, um, but, like, obviously it's your mids that put defense on mids, kicking that, in, in, that ball inside that forward 50 that usually helps the dogs, obviously, keep from getting a score um, scored against them, so... I don't know, I reckon they can turn it around though. But definitely a good win to the Ds. Sure. And I also think the the crowd plays a big influence not having um that nineteenth man almost on the field, especially the dogs having that at their basically their um stadium home ground. Their yeah. what what am I trying to say? Their fortress, you know, um where they would have their normal big crowd. Um but in saying that it was a good win. Uh I think also they they even kept saying like in the commentary like when there's a crowd involved, it 
changes the the way like people talk on the ground. You can actually hear what your defenders are yelling at you. Like when you sure. got, especially when you got Lever or May yelling at you, of course you're gonna know where to be at what given stage. But you know you put that in a proper pressure game with proper crowd and you can't hear your teammates that well. I feel like that definitely also changes it. And also Dogs did lose a lot of. I think they lost every. Oh, not every game, but a lot of games with no crowd. I feel like they play off like a confidence type game, so. But yeah. The other, yeah, it's still early days and there's a lot of water to go under the bridge and That's anything it. can happen. That's It'll it. be fascinating to see the next time they play, um, where, which will no doubt be sometime later in the season. I'm not sure if they're playing the home and away again, but yeah, I imagine that they'll most likely run into each other in the finals at some stage if they both play well enough. Yeah, they do play later at the MCG. Yes. Awesome. Well, they're meant which, to. Which side do you think is more suited to the G, Tony? Uh, well, Melbourne, obviously, because they play at the G. Um, it's their home ground, and they play it very well. Um, and probably, yeah, the biggest space allows their defenders to have even more structure and yeah. um, use their run carry. Whereas dogs, I think, like a contested ball, quick handball, quick style game. You don't really get that at the they're MCG. Like, they like it in tight too. Yeah. The fact that they kept them, you know, uh, Melbourne kept the doggies goalless in the in the third quarter was a big win as well. But they just kicked the three behinds there. So they can manage in a big game like that. If you normally can keep the other side goalless, you're uh, well on your way, you know, to winning that game. Yeah, I agree. And the other big game on the weekend where a team has now flexed their muscles, winning seven games in a row, the Brisbane Lions, they're doing it without their Brownlow medalist to Lockie Neal. 129-65, beating Giants, just dismantling them at home, obviously, by 64 points. Very impressive. Very impressive win. I mean, it's hard to fault the Lions side. They seem hungry, you know. They just seem like they want it. They know what they kind of have to do. Um, they really want that top four spot and they're, yeah, cementing it at the moment by having that good form and the good run that they're on and we won't jump too far ahead of schedule but, um, yeah, we can't wait for the cup following Friday night where the two, I guess, best teams kind of thing at the moment in the competition are meeting head-to-head. Um, yeah, but Brisbane just have winners all over the ground. Once again, like... Lions just keeps doing it like he's playing himself to all, into all Australian type form and they're yeah they're doing it their forward line's functioning really well and they've got some really good rebound off the back line and players like Zorko are just having close to career best um seasons once again so did yeah did you any of you boys manage to see the game I didn't, not, I didn't no. see the game no um but um I heard that GWS arrived at Brisbane and got turned away and they had to fly back. Really? Because they didn't have the right, like, entry um, conditions on whatever they have to do because of COVID. So they're already on the back foot when it comes to preparation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's sort of a, a win that Brisbane most definitely should have penciled in, given that circumstance. But it's obviously, you know, always going to help you with form that you do win by that amount. In saying that, I think... Uh, they only kicked away in the last half, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'll put that down to the circumstances of GWS because they've been travelling pretty well, uh, given all their injuries. Um, I think a standout for them was Lockie Whitfield, who has come back from the like, liver injury yes. or yeah. whatever he's, he's had going on there. Um, 
but I think he's tr- he's finding some form now, which is um, great for them. And they're probably a team to watch on the back half of the season. Did you have any uh, take on it, Tony? I won't. I think the most impressive thing on a Brisbane side of things for me was like they've been human luggage and Lions and Danaher really the last six to eight weeks have just been on fire and really carried the team. Um, and it seemed that they all had downish games and they still won quite comfortably. Um, so I think it's a good sign that like the next tier of stepping up and performing. Um, but in terms of GWS as well, they are a very young team at the moment playing a lot of kids and you do get inconsistent games with um, young teams where they may just not rock up for a week and they just get smashed. It happens all the time. So I'm not I'm not sure if you just put it down to GWS were off for the week and Lions were up or, yeah, what you put it, if they were thrown off by the COVID thing. But, yeah, Brisbane are up and flying and for me they're probably clear second seed at the moment behind Melbourne, who's number one. Yeah, shout and got to give a shout out to uh, Mitch Robertson as well. Best on ground, undoubtedly, having the best game of his career, and he's a veteran nowadays, and he's been around the system for a long time. But for him to kick, what was it, four goals and like thirty-five possessions or whatnot? Yeah, that's amazing performance by him as well. So all credit to to him and the Lions picking up, and that is a good sign where you know your best players aren't uh, if they're not on, and where other players in the team can lift, and because they play a good structure. And um, yeah, and not be severely hampered by it. So, was it, um, was once... it also a milestone for Mitch Robinson? I can't, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was a milestone. Possibly 150 games. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, but a vi- a victim of the old uh, Carlton regime and Mick Malthouse's. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he he ruffled a few feathers at Carlton and sent a few players packing. Um, so I'm glad he's found the team in Brisbane because. He's a player that most uh, supporters would love to have playing for them because he just gives 110% every single game and he sort of sets the tone. Well, I'd love like him in the Bombers. Yeah, um, he's like a dog. He's like sea ball, get ball. Yeah. He runs at it. It could be so, at a brick um, wall. It doesn't matter. He'll bash through it. Look, this uh, is probably uh, one game he'll pencil in as one of the best in terms of personal stats. Um, but in terms of being a team player, I think he gives that week in, week out. I think he's... um their second best barometer right behind Reese Matheson also after Reese yeah. Matheson has already taken that claim so I think uh, when Mitch Robinson's up about they're all about too he's one of those players that kind of like you know jump on my back boys let's just do yeah. this you know he, he really he really grabs the team by the scruff of the neck and says let's just do it he's one of those type of players just behind Math- Matheson though like, like, can't stress enough how much Matheson does for that club he's he's the though Mentioned not on the show anymore. Did you hear his interview after the game, though? When they're like, oh, he's like, yeah, I think I'm a bit of a barometer for the club. Surely <laughs> that's going to come out as that's an internal joke. Yeah. And yeah. You got, he got put well, up to it. It was funny, even on their Instagram during the week, they're like, oh, the, the media was like um, taking videos of them like doing their set shots and whatnot. And they're like, who do you want to see next? And someone wrote the barometer. So then they put like Reese Matheson on the screen. So it was pretty funny. Good laugh for the social media there. Did anyone catch the most boring game in the world? Oh, I thought we were going to talk oh, about the most boring game in the world. Hollywood uh, Geelong. Is that what you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you want to dive into your team at all, Martin? Or are you, are you just happy with them at the moment? Uh, you know, it was... <laughs> 
it was boring. Like when I watched, I was actually talking. So um, for those of you listening at home, my my footy wife, as as I've dubbed it, is um, Lachlan's actual wife, uh, Kelly. And me and her watch um, the footy together and we go whenever we can. And um, I was messaging her like pregame, didn't get a reply. And then she messaged me back because she's a nurse and she was doing night shift. And she's like, oh, I've just woken up. Missed the first half. I go, you didn't miss anything. It's been a horrific game. I won't get that hour and a half back. So like if you slept through it and just saw the highlights or not all the lowlights of the game, it would have been worthwhile. So it was just a really ugly game. Both sides didn't want to take the game on. Geelong yeah. were happy to restrict Collingwood to what, a goalless first half, I think it was, for the yeah, first one ever way. in their history. Something stupid like that. When you see the top, and, like, uh, you know, 10 major ball winners have the names Chris Main, Brendan Parfitt, Isaac Quainall, Zach Tui. And all defenders. Chipping around. You generally know it's going to be a pretty average game. Well, they were just chipping around the back line. Geelong missed a few. So did Colin. Colin were terrible in front of goals. So it could have... But overall, the scoreline did flatter them. That was 10 points in the end. We were in complete control of the game. And I think they kicked maybe the last two or three goals late where um, there was 14 seconds left on the clock when it got to 10 points. So you, you never felt threatened. Like none of the players were ever in that mode going, oh, no, you know, we better switch on here. They kind of had it all in control. And um, just another week where we kind of just did it, even though we're missing, you know, four or five of our kind of best players. Like, if you looked at our side pregame and there are the two late changes with Guthrie and Blitz out, if you had to pick as the opposition two players to just take out of the side, they'd be right up there along with Prey Hawkins um, to really ruin us structure-wise. And, um, yeah, I'd say we were lucky that um, Brody Grundy um, went off injured as well just to kind of help the cause but we've spoken more than enough about this game because it was it was really that boring and Collingwood have copped it a bit and one thing actually that I would like to mention that um I have heard being discussed this week is this is something that we'd have to ask a Collingwood fan more than anything but in terms of do you prefer to see your side play an ugly style like this against better quality sides it's happened a couple weeks in a row now where they haven't really wanted to risk or take the game on but to be in the game and then be it, have it be ugly, or would you prefer it to be like, for example, your GWS, where you know you kind of take on the game, you try and risk a few things, but then you end up getting thumped by you know sixty plus points. Like, what what are your thoughts on that, boys? Especially you, Tony, because your mum and your family follow uh, the pies. Oh, um, yeah, I think you definitely want them. If they're not getting the win, well, then you want them to play a nice brand of football. Otherwise, you're just left with a sour taste. You're left with a loss, and then you're left with a boring game of footy. You've just wasted two hours yeah. of your life. Um, yeah, I, I think Lachlan will be a good one to ask this because Essendon were in, kind of in the same boat last year. Um, so, yeah, Lachlan, to, what's your thoughts? It seems like a bit of a, a coach-saving exercise off uh, Buckley's side of things. He's trying to save his gig for, the ne- for next year um, just by keeping that competitiveness, so to speak. Yeah, but if you but if he's if he's got a grand grand plan for this side, I wouldn't but want to be wasting too many games in trying to establish new players coming through and new game styles, because as you said, yeah. Tony, you're just wasting two hours out there, and um, players get confused and they lose um, that enthusiasm for turning up week in week out and enthusiasm for training, knowing that you're either going to be playing at a position, or you're going to be doing that on top of just pa- playing a really boring game style so most players they grow up wanting to play exciting football and football that's um reflective of their natural ability and if they come into a side like that there's not going to be too many players who want to play for the club 
So I'd be very wary of how far they push it. Yeah, that's good point. Well, you think about too, if you've got young a young forward line, you want to see your forwards kick goals. You don't want to see them just be stagnant while the ball's being held up. So it's not really much coming away from it in terms of like you want to see your young future stars get some hope with the fans. Um, yeah. And that's right. And um, as you said, you, you know, I barracked for Essendon and you, we had a few of those games maybe last year, but it's nice to finally see that when a, a, a good game style is um, employed, at least if you're not making finals or making headway, you've got some excitement as a fan to look forward to when you see glimmers of young players come through and have little exciting patches and you've got links in play where you go, oh my God, I can actually see what they're trying to do. Um, Progress. And we're, we're doing that more and more often at the moment. So... Progress yeah. and hope. Hard, hard times for Collingwood, but they can have it for the next 20 years like we had. <laughs> they've, got a, they've got a good start this year. They'll get the number one pick and with um, Nick Dacos, yeah, already sealed up. So it's a good, good way to rebuild. Yeah, and if it's going off the other Dacos brother, he's going to be a jet and he's already he's killing it at VFL level. level. Um, well, let's move on. Let's move on to the most exciting win and the upset of the round, we'll say. Well, I uh, that's say once again was the most exciting win, but... Nah, oh, well, you guys it. were behind quite a bit, but... Oh, at the start, yeah, no, we just weren't gelling at the start. Let's but we'll... not get into that, right? <laughs> but we'll jump into Essendon versus uh, West Coast. Lachlan, you would have watched this game. Exciting. 29 points down. Third quarter blitz. Oh, well, sorry. Fourth quarter blitz. Sorry, that's when you started hitting your stride. Oh, you had hit it in the third and then fourth year overcome with, with 36 seconds in. And Jake Stringer putting his out in front in the first minute of the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was one of those games where I haven't felt the way I did in a long time where I was actually nervous. Um because I felt we were never actually out of the game all the way through. I thought we were quite competitive. Uh, despite getting nearly 30 points down, um, I just put that down to West Coast and their game style because they're extremely efficient when they go forward. I think they had nine goals, zero at some stage. Um, we just And we'd actually had more forward entries. I, can't, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but um, they were just way more efficient. We wasted a few opportunities. Uh, I really, really appreciated that there's a clear game style and game plan and it just felt a lot more cohesive. Um, the players are really switching onto it. Um, so I think when we do get that far down, we're now more reliable um, in the fact that we can continue along that structure, that game plan and have more of a chance of staying in it. Uh, we had a lot of the players that we have had, you know, maintain their good form. Uh, Parrish, Laverde, uh, Perkins was really good as a young player. Harry Jones stepped up, kicked a couple of goals. Stringer was a good in for us this week. Um, brought some good uh, strength in that forward line. Uh, we were assisted by a couple of injuries with West Coast. Um, Kelly down in the third quarter, I think. And also Oscar Allen went up for a big scream and came down on his head. But um, I'll take that. It still showed a lot of um, heart on our boys to maintain that, and we came home with a sixteen-point win. So, not to um, not to take anything away from from the Bombers because it was a fantastic performance and a really good win. 
Um, but some people could say that, you know, West Coast kind of shot themselves in the foot with uh, bringing Yo back so quickly as well, like how he's been. He's missed a very long period of footy, played one game in the twos last week. And for them to kind of manage him through this game, you could see late that it really did show where because of an uh, unfortunate couple of injuries um, happening early and they're already trying to manage the bench, they just absolutely ran out of gas. They were cooked by the time the fourth quarter came and it was kind of... Um, somewhat inevitable that the Bombers, although they, they played really well, but they were going to overrun um, that Eagles side. And to beat them, especially over there, is extra credit to, to the Bombers as well. And it really opens up their final final chances. They're one game out of the eight, um, and they've got good percentage where, um, yeah, even West Coast and Richmond, they're right on their tail kind of thing. And if they win one more and one of those teams drop one, they'll overtake them on the ladder. So... Uh, game on indeed so it even makes the dream time of the g game even more fascinating because they're both playing essentially for eighth spot i agree okay good call do you reckon their finals bound oh, sorry do you reckon they could do damage in finals looking i gotta make it first um because we're such a young side i i think we're struggling to to make it just because yeah, we've got two players who are first-year players and they've almost played every game, I think, so they're always bound to fall off. Um, it'd take an enormous effort to get up there. I don't don't know what our back end of the season draw is like, but considering we finished fairly low last season, um, I'd say it's all right. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, I think we could probably challenge a few teams up there. Um, a couple of teams we've lost to by a couple of points, but in saying that, we've lost to Brisbane by 60-odd points. We lost to Port by 50-odd points. Eagles we beat. Sydney we came within, was it, a goal? Um, yeah. And then we'll test ourselves this round against the Tigers. So that'll give us some indication. But the Tigers are running pretty low on stock as well. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a false economy at this point. But if you told me that I'd be, we'd be five and six at this point, because I think we lost the first four games. Yep. Um, I'd, I'd be pretty happy, and I'm pretty happy. So, are you, yeah. are you starting to really enjoy their game plan, like the way Chuck's running the ship now? Yeah, 100%. Um, and to see him excited and just after the win, like I don't think Worsold showed too much emotion, um, despite winning pro- probably a few games. Um, so it's nice to see him engage with the players and the young players as well and look actually excited and share that with them. So I think that translates to the fans as well. Sees he's passionate about it and um that they all they're all buying into what they're trying to achieve down there so yeah no i liked it and it was the best win i've probably seen in 10 15 years true i'd say if anything for on runnings behalf it's a bit of somewhat youthful exuberance from a young coach per se where you can uh, they definitely show more emotion which the fans love like i love it when you see even chris scott like when he goes off in the box like celebrating if we kick a big goal or a close result and you go yes like you want to see that kind of fan slash supporter in them as well yeah to, uh, yeah. yeah to kind of shine out you shine do see through. it in like, some of the elderly ones too though like you know ken hinkley yeah. when they won that bloody showdown you know sure. he, he loves it he, he's another one who gets around his his team and, and they definitely you know i think teams are always built on you know just um communication and love for each other like it's genuine connection Obviously, so I think when you see like signs like that, you know that they're building on something good. It's the same as Melbourne, you know, like Melbourne are 
like I know we've touched on it a lot of times throughout the whole podcast series so far, but you can just see like everyone's playing for each other now, and uh, I think Essendon are definitely on that track now. And then obviously like having Blake Carousello and Truck coming from Richmond, who kind of like really brought that brand. You can tell it's like really rubbing off now, and it's starting to turn into something good. And uh, I definitely think they're a team to watch in the next couple of years going forward. Yeah, yeah, and um, Truck being a former uh, key position player in the back line. I think he's really um, had a few master strokes in moving some players around back there and you know playing to their physical strengths. Um, like Laverde and Stewart, they're not defenders by any means and I think he's um, teaching them a fair bit in a short amount of time. So I'm really appreciating that um, that knowledge that he's imparting on them. I think it's great. Well, the other good thing about his knowledge is obviously a key defender for Adelaide. Was it Adelaide? Yeah. Um, and then when he came to Richmond, he actually went to forward coaching. So he's got both ends of the field too. You know what I mean? Like he, he's really got his head around both ends because um, obviously he was there in, during the premiership season. So uh, it's definitely a big string to his bow. I think he's I think he's a great coach and he'll do wonders for that club, to be honest. And it's, it's actually good to see now, obviously, um, after the trade period and whatnot, like a lot of people are starting to really back um, Adrian... I can't pronounce his last name. Adrian Dodoro. Dodoro, yeah. that's the one. So no, it's good. They've definitely turned that club around, you know, quick in a sense. And I just, I look forward to seeing where they end up at the end of the season. Definitely. I want to jump in and ask uh, Lockie another question as well. Or do you have something to say or comment on that first, Lockie? Uh, I was just going to go on to something else, but ask away first. Oh, great. Um, in terms of your young bomber side there, who do you think are the key players where if you were to make finals and make some kind of impact, maybe even win a final, who who are the absolute key players that you see there at Essendon um, being the ones that have to kind of play well for you to do for the whole team to lift? Yep. Um, it starts with, obviously, the midfield. I think um, the combination of Parrish and um, Merritt is absolute key for us. Um our, our ruck is actually quite important, important as well. Um, I'd like Draper in the side developing a bit more, but he's obviously out injured. Phillips he's is almost a, back, isn't he? Yeah, he's almost back. A couple of weeks, I think. Um, they'll be conservative with him because he's quite young. Phillips is doing really well. Um, but for the other people who need to be really firing, up and firing, is um, probably Hooker and Stringer in the forward line. Um, when they're kicking goals, we're usually winning. Um, Tip and Woody's always probably our Matheson, our barometer. Um, he's probably up with Charlie Cameron as the best small forward in the comp at the moment. Oh, 100%. Um, right. And I think Dyson Heppel's really um, improved his game off the back of moving, being moved to half-back flank where he started his career. So I think when he's up and reading the ball really well, um, everyone else is feeding off that that energy and the way he really um, you know, structures that back line as well. He's always yelling out instructions. So I think those core group of five players, yep. if they're playing well, everyone else is feeding off them. Um, yeah, so that's my answer, really. Quick awesome. one, just, just commenting off that uh, with Heppel. Did you happen to see that video of Heppel like after a game about maybe four or five rounds ago when he like pulled the group in together? Did you manage to say that at all? Yeah, it was against the um, it was against Sydney. So yeah. after we lost by a few points, um, just nothing planned. He, he, I think it was like a six minute speech to the whole group. Yeah, it was um, great. 
I was sent, yeah, I watched it a couple of times and I thought it was amazing. Um, and from that, I think we've really improved yeah, and that just shows a small little window into who he is as a person inside the club. Yeah, I was just trying um, to make that connection with like the whole group being connected, you know, like even off, after a loss to say that you're proud of like how you play and you're just off the mark that little bit and you mm. can see now like the ball's rolling a bit that they're, they're going to be a good side now. But yeah. yeah, I was just touching on that a little bit. And I, I hope the fact that we've sort of improved, you know, marginally as a as a collective, um, which obviously helps in this cutthroat industry because little margins can help a whole lot. That it um, gets the re-signing of merit over the line as well. Yeah, I hope so. Because I think hopefully now he's seen enough in the side because he's young enough still. Yep. Um, for the side collectively to go through together and do some great things. So I hope he puts pen to paper. That's yeah, realistic. Which team was he going to go to? Carlton. That, that's the one. Uh, there's there's a number of there's a number of teams that were floated, but nothing you know, yeah. in concrete. But who wouldn't put an offer towards him? Oh, yeah. He's he's one of the top ten midfielders, and if he, not the top free agent this year. So you'd definitely make a play so, for him. So underrated too. Like and at the moment, he's he's getting absolutely drilled every game. After like basically after he's um get got rid of the ball. He's always decked after, yep. and he just gets up, he keeps going, he doesn't complain. Like, he's got a great work ethic, and I really think that's... Um... Which is kind of good now, and you can tell that maturity's come through, because years ago, when he mm. did used to get ruffled a bit, he used to retaliate a fair bit, so, like, you can tell he's yeah. taking pride in it now, and, it, and it's more of a compliment than a uh, someone actually trying to get into your face, you know? You see all the big yeah. players, like, people try to get into the big players, but... I'm sure a lot of them just take it as a compliment now, and it's just a bit of maturity. Yeah. So, vice captain, part of the leadership group as well. So, yep. I don't think yep. he'll be going anywhere. Yep. Yeah, nah. I hope I hope he stays, and um, the dominoes fall with Parish and maybe Stringer for a two-year deal, and just get all that core group of players coming along. And uh, yeah, good things happen when you keep the core group of players together. Just like I think Richmond has shown that they're probably in the last 10 years, one of the best teams for keeping a core group together. And um, I hope to replicate that in some way. Yeah, that's it. All right, boys, do you want to get onto this week what we're looking forward to? Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it, sure. Let's do it. All right, well, Martin, I'll let you kick it off. What is the round? Oh, sorry, the round. What is the game you are looking forward to most this weekend? Oh, undoubtedly, it's the it's the obvious one, but I'm definitely going to go there anyway with Melbourne versus uh, the Brisbane Lions. It's going to be an absolute ripper game. We're pretty much um, the best kind of two teams in it at the moment um, are going to go head-to-head after, of course, last week with the Doggies losing. Uh, Brisbane are definitely the next big challenger. And if Melbourne can, uh, you know, get the better of uh, Brisbane at Giants Stadium as it currently stands, if things don't change, then, um, yeah, it'll be another big tick uh, for that Melbourne Demon side. But Brisbane are going to definitely going to bring it. I think they're going to bring it a bit more than what um, the Bulldogs did to some extent. So I think it'll be a closer game than what the than what Melbourne uh, Dockies game were, yep. uh, especially with, uh, yeah, I guess the, the good forward line and a bit more, I guess, structure that the Brisbane Lions have. They're a bit more, um, I'd say, seasoned in terms of they might not be on age. I actually haven't looked at the stats, 
But in terms of they've made finals the last few years, they've finished top four the last couple of years. And I think this year really could potentially be their year. So I think it should be a really good game. I am tipping Melbourne, though, by a couple goals. Um, what are your thoughts on the game, guys? I like this because it's at a neutral stadium. Like, you know, it's a giant stadium. It's no one's home ground. I think that really takes a lot of, you know... Um, like when we're talking about structure of you know like Melbourne like a big open ground like where they can like really um, like def- the G yeah yeah exactly like, like the G like where they can defend and um, I think it kind of plays a little bit into like the um, the dimensions of for the Lions so personally I think I think the Lions just off form um, I reckon they're going to be great I reckon it's, it's going to be close I like I I can't pick between them but if I had to choose someone I'm just somewhat leaning towards the Lions. Yeah, um, I this one for me is probably too tight to call. I'll wait and see what, if the teams come out and if there are any late inclusions. Um, yeah, I, where's the game being played? I don't even know where the game's being played. Giant Stadium. Giant Stadium. Well, that should probably favour Melbourne, you'd say, like being an open ground. They can get a bit more run and carry and defensive structure. But, yeah, um, for me, yeah, I'll wait and see what the teams are. I'll tip a draw. Oh. Is that your final prediction? That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a bad one. Yeah, we haven't had one yet this year. There's um, always a couple throughout the year on average. So, Lucky, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the um, I think the Brisbane backline have the Melbourne forwards covered. Um, but I think the interesting duel and the decider of the game is how the matchup for the Melbourne defence and the Brizzy forwards are going to go. Because I think they're probably the um, best contest in terms of physical matchups in the comp right now. Um, mm. So I think depending on how Joey Danaher can go and run up the ground, taking those centre-half forward marks and getting those long kicks in, I think would you run Stephen May on him or would you run um, Lever on him? They'd probably Lever if I had to guess, I'd just because May loves to be that general of defence yeah, and set yeah, set up everything else. And if anyone, he'll sit on whoever's the deepest forward, and then he'll kind of pull the strings from the end there, if I had to guess. So I was going to ask well, who are some of the key clashes, so that's a really good point that you bring up there, because um, obviously it's always easy to look at the midfield battle and see who you know wins it in and under and who gets it out um, mm. to see which direction the ball goes in. But I think some of those key yeah matchups like that will be uh, really fascinating to see because I think Brisbane are so dangerous you know, on so many multiple fronts with their forward lines. It's not just their bigs. When you've got Jeremy Cameron finally... Um, wait, is it Jeremy? No. I'm thinking of what's his name, the small forward. Charlie Cameron. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie. That's it. Charlie Cameron. Um, and he's finally looks like he's getting into some kind of form and he's had a relatively quiet season so far. But if he can start to hit his traps as well, you know... To anyone's um it's I even think um a possibility for a good matchup on Danaher is Tom McDonald. Yep. Because I think he's quite a good fit for him and he's he's very, very quick for a big man. So I think I think Joey's gonna press up the ground a fair bit, um, take a, a high centre half forward role and clear out the forward fifty for Cameron and hit Wood leading out, but I think they'll really channel Cameron this round. Um so that's a possible matchup as well. But I think very, very key is that link play from Danaher from the midfield into the forward line. If he has a big game, I reckon Brisbane will get over the line. Well, with Melbourne too, Gorn plays that kick behind play when he's in the ruck. So that, 
that'll nullify Danaher getting up the ground. Danaher's then got to beat his opponent and Gorn as well. Mm. That's something that Melbourne do very well. It'll be fascinating. It'll be such a good game. I cannot yeah. wait to see it. And us being, we haven't even mentioned on the show yet, but us being here in Melbourne and all of us in lockdown, there's nothing else better to do, is there, than flick the TV on. Thank God, footy's I on. I wish it would have been played game. in Brisbane, actually. It would have been perfect. Like a full house, like the crowd pumping, like... Melbourne would have made more money from it as well, like in terms no, of. There'll still be a lot of. I still think there'll be a decent crowd there. I don't know if it'll be a sellout because it's in Sydney and New South Wales. Yeah, I don't but, think uh, Melbourne have a big following interstate wise. I know there was a decent crowd for the Richmond Adelaide game, but Richmond have quite a few supporters in Sydney. So, yeah, I hope there is a massive crowd. Like it just makes the game so much better when watching yeah, on TV does. when there's a crowd. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when they ride it, they ride the the bumps and the goals and yeah. passion. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the. Um, I mean, it's probably the precursor for our next conversation. But Essendon have a great following over in the West. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that's going to turn out to be um, with the Dreamtime game. That's probably a good um, uh, a good transition though. Well, we might as well out. go into that because I think that's uh, probably our three game of the round. Because obviously, being a bye week, there's not as much games. Um, yeah, we'll jump straight into it and just going off what you just said, Lock oh, yeah. sold out within under 24 hours and obviously there is a big following for Essendon from all reports what I see too. So it's going to be a In good general, game, though, you know. Even um, WA are clearly a AFL footy state and why wouldn't, um, why wouldn't you want to go like... In general, it's just a spectacular game, whether you follow the teams or not, mm. and the like the pre-game ceremony that they'll do over there, and the stadium's fantastic at night, and the lights that they can do, they'll put on a real show. So it'll oh, be yeah. really awesome to see. And there's what fifty thousand tickets sold for the game, so that'll yeah, be incredible. 60. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not just a great game of footy too; it's also a great event to be a part of, like to see the Aboriginals perform, do their. Um, ceremonies and that's right yeah such a good feel and to celebrate everything that the indigenous people bring to our game and the community itself it's yeah fabulous occasion and i think it's also like a lot more relevant over there because they've got a lot more um indigenous players in their local leagues as well yeah Um, a lot of indigenous people over there um in closer proximity than what melbourne is Usually the Melbourne, um, they've got a lot of, they do have a lot of internal communities, but most of them are in the country. Um, so I'd be, I'd love to see a lot of the crowd be Indigenous um, followers and supporters, just like they did, was it last year up in yeah. Darwin? That was yeah. fantastic to that watch and see. Us. So I'd, I'd love to see huge, huge parts of that um, 50, 60,000 uh, be Indigenous supporters. I just wish um, because it's so, it's so exciting for them to be able to watch their, um, you know, the hero family basically run on the track and they can idolize them look up to them and you know maybe one day that's going to be them you know it's great for someone to uh idolize someone like that i'm just going to show them where hard work and effort where it can take them they have those yeah. choices in life and absolutely they, they've worked really hard all those players to get to where they are today so yeah sorry to cut you off the head no you're right um do you know where tip and woody's from is he do you know where he's roughly from uh, he is from the Tiwi Islands. Yes, that's it. Is it Taiwanese? Taiwanese for the yeah. rich for the Richmond boys. Our, uh, well, not that Sydney Stacks playing, but we got three Western Australian boys too, like with Shea Bolton, um, Marlon Pickett. So, like, you can tell they're looking forward to the occasion. I'm just gutted that Mosquito's not in 
you know like after last year what he did like yeah. those two goals it was just mm-hmm. he was a player yeah player. I actually watched a few of his highlights um, because Indigenous Round they always pop up in the AFL feed and um, yeah. had a good couple of moments there and I think it was that game that he did his knee yeah um, uh, yeah so well, it's, that was it's a real de- shame that was his debut game actually So I, I yeah it was yeah. yeah so I'm really hoping that he can come back um strong but that's yeah. probably going to be next season we're going pretty conservative with him yeah. so nah, it says which is good estimated return is indefinite so hopefully next yeah. year well let's uh let's talk about the actual game itself since this is both your games guys what what do you actually predict to happen here there's a few you know there's a, a it's a must win for both games. it's one of those classic eight pointers that you can say because there's a four point swing each way for whoever wins and with the finals race getting rather tight there and percentage being quite important how do you guys see it playing out or yeah let's hear your thoughts yeah i think it'll be a high scoring very entertaining game of football um essendon like to move the ball quickly and play on and score highly as i said and um richmond generally a high scoring team as well um weather permitting as long as it's not bucketing down over there um, but, yeah, in terms of what Richmond will bring to the game, well, it's a bit of an unknown. We've got a new forward line at the moment with Lynch out, and it'll be headlined by Cullum Coleman-Jones, CJ, um, who had a ripping game last week, kicked four goals, um, and then Jack Rewalt chimed in in the last quarter, had a good game, but he seems to be playing further up the ground. Um, but then, yeah, with the injury with Nankervis, I don't know if they're going to use CJ as the ruck and if Chol will be playing forward. So, yeah, a That's bit of an right. unknown as to how Richmond are going to line up forward at the ball. Yeah, there's a big out. Losing Nank is a huge out huge. in terms of um, structure more than anything, you know, um, especially with... You've lost or, two or, 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 in structure plays. Well, we've got our two main rucks out now, obviously, with Soldo and Nank, and then, like, obviously, we've lost Lynch now as... Not that he's like a main backup ruck, but like you, you, like we've got Bolter as our backup ruck, but he's just so influential in the back line. I don't like seeing him in the ruck personally. So. I think Bolter needs to stay back. Yeah, and then, I agree. Yeah. I don't know who else is in the VFL who can come in or stand up. I think maybe we'll just have to play with two tall forwards and then use Troll and Coleman Jones in the ruck and the other one play forward. But um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting game nevertheless. What's your prediction on the scoreline from the Richmond boys? And then we'll move on to Lucky. I think think it's going to be super close. Um, Look, I hope we we win, but if we win, I think it will only be within one to two kicks. Yeah, I think around that 10 to 20 point margin, I think, um, generally speaking. Um, Essendon do have a bit of an advantage, though, having played on Optus Stadium last week and getting the results. So they know how the ground plays they've got that bit more familiarity with the venue and they wouldn't have um, had to leave this week too so they, they would have still just trained over there so they've got the form as well three games in a row yeah, three, three wins row, so they're they're flying at the moment the bombers so they're, they're looking good you know um it'll, it'll it'll be a lot closer than probably some people would think like even um if you're looking at the odds but lucky your thoughts on the game yeah um Echoing that, it's going to be a, a pretty tight, high-scoring contest, which is going to be a very good viewing, um, and it'd be great to watch it on on TV, despite um, you know not having it here. Um, I think there is advantages and disadvantages for both teams. Um, 
Richmond has a fair few injuries stacking up. I think there was late news also that Cochin might be going yeah. back to Melbourne. Um, True. That'd be huge. Because of his family, he's got his daughter in hospital or something like that. So that's another blow for their um, their side. In saying that, Richmond has a, a pretty good uh, depth of talent within their squad. Um, and they always, at the moment, are turning over new players that come in and sort of fill that role. And um, they're relying on that, you know, quote-unquote Richmond system just to fulfill that role. Yeah. So that's where they've found their success in the past. And that's where they, they continue to, you know, find new players who... You know, they just keep ticking over the wins at the moment. So they've got that system to rely upon, um, but we've got a pretty good vein of form with our uh, young players coming in, rejuvenating it. But with young players come, obviously, that unreliability and you know, consistency. So that's my concern coming into the game. Um, when you say, you know, Nags are real, it's a big out, and absolutely it is. But my concern is if you've got Chol and maybe is Marlin Pickett, is he... Available? Yes, he's coming yeah. back from that suspension. Okay, so. well, I dare say he'll be pinch hitting in the ruck like he always does yeah, as well. That's true. Yeah. I would actually be super concerned for Phillips um, because he's not super mobile. Um, and I'd be concerned about him just being, you know, run around and run to the forward line because um, I don't think he's a great defensive player. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if young Nick Bryan didn't come in. Uh, to challenge that, you know, really good, hard-running, um, more athletic-type Ruckman, and he's a bit more fresh. Yep. So, yeah, but in terms of that, I think it's going to be a red-hot con- contest, and uh, I'll look forward to the challenge for the young fellas. So, yeah, bring it on. Beautiful. And I reckon uh, un- under a goal to Richmond. You know what? The more that we've kind of went on this chat, I did my tips before and I did tip Richmond, them, but the more that we talk about their injuries and potentially if I'll say I'll leave my tip with Richmond, but if Cochin, for example, was to drop out, I think that could be enough to um to swing it over because the Tigers have been super inconsistent this year and going win-loss, win-loss, win-loss and coming off a win last week, that might mean potentially if the Bombers ever were to uh, cause an upset here like they did kind of last week, uh, it looks like a lot of the the pieces are falling into place of that puzzle. If it was to happen, that there might not be many better opportunities than this, where uh, the wounded tiger is somewhat could be down. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a ripper game and really close as well. I'll leave it with Richmond unless there's any other late changes that come through, and I think that could be enough. Yeah, the yeah. punters are still still liking Richmond as well. A dollar fifty two. Mm. Yeah, maybe yeah, the line about it. Line. The more I thought about it too, like Richmond have quite a few Indigenous players who all, and they always step up for this occasion too. Yeah, so and Shane Edwards is a big in this week too. Yeah, just another one to add to the list. So I think going by that method, um, yeah, Richmond should just topple the Bombers. The thing is, uh, but like like we said at the top of it, you know, it, it is one of those like eight point games, like Martin said. So both teams are gonna be wanting to win this game because it's literally the eight that you know defines them like putting them yeah. in the top eight so it is which we can't afford to lose too many more can you really exactly like, so, so you, that, you've right. got you've got like you know Essendon playing exciting footy wanting to get to that position and then you've got Richmond the wounded tiger like you sit there the top. 
yeah, and you see him and they're like, well, this is our time to really kick into gear. So it's kind of, it's going to be a really good battle. So I think the bonus for um, Essendon as well off that huge win last last week is they didn't come back to Melbourne yeah. and, you know, have all that expectation and, you know, media commitments and, you know, yep, getting their down. head full of all the expectation now that, um, you know, it's been yeah, amped Melbourne, up for yeah. the Essendon, you know. So I think it's a good thing that they stayed over there and sort of stayed out of the Melbourne bubble. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they just continue on their uh, their mental, you know, stability yeah. and just continue going through and ticking the boxes. So I just I just want to see competitiveness. That's all I want to see. Um, one quick question for Lockie as well, uh, Bombers. How did how did they deal in general with the hub last year? Because it is somewhat. It's not as long as a hub, but staying over there, you know, on an extended away trip away from their family and everything. Would you? Yeah, like I can't genuinely can't really remember if did they kind of thrive through it. Was it a young group kind of getting closer together, or did they lose their structure a bit here or there, or were there stories of other things happening? Or I mean, I'd I'd only be guessing. I don't know, you know, any any evidence but behind it. But being a young group. Um, I would say they would have struggled a fair bit because mm. young young athletes or young people in general need a lot of structure, um, and I don't think that would have provided enough structure for them to, you know, get into good routines and good, um, yeah, mental and physical shape. Um, so I definitely think more consistency is better for them. Um, so it probably wasn't good. I think the young side struggled, the older sides with a lot more maturity and good leadership um, dealt with it better. But, yeah, I don't think it's suited to anyone, to be honest. Quick question. Shea Bolton's mark or Jack Rewalt's mark? What do you rate more? I think uh, Rewalt's. I'm going with Rewalt's. I just like the the courage and the fact that taking nothing away from Bolton's or a specky style mark but we do see it every week to some extent in terms of like and it's awesome and we love it and it's one of the great things about our game where they show their athleticism but for the fact of um rewild doing his um i just think the courage factor comes in and you look at it and you go oh it is a once a season type mark that you see because players genuinely to some extent it's kind of stupid but when it comes off and you pull it off you love it like you play the coaches it gets everyone up and about but if it goes the other way and there's a big hit and he cops a big concussion or he's out for, you know, multiple weeks and people go, it's just not worth it, you know, for, for a mark for the footy. But when it pulls off, fantastic mark. Yeah, well, I saw Bolton's mark live and that literally got me out of the chair, like screaming, standing up. But um, so that was very special. But Jax was just so unique, just in the fact too that he got a ride while going back with the flight of the ball. Yeah. Something that I've never seen before. So I'll probably be leaning just towards Jack. It, it it is weird, isn't it? Like um, I, I was in the same boat with you, Tony. You you see me jump up in the aisle like a banana, uh, when Shay took that mark. But you know, I think the atmosphere of being at that type of game also changes it too. You know, like when we're not at the game, it. I'm sure I probably would have jumped as high if I was at the game. But yeah, that 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 mark was good. This is uh kind of going into. I'm gonna. Uh, we're all good with um our. Teams, uh, our games of the week, yeah, because I'm gonna go into the next segment, which is dickheads and unsung heroes. Oh, I don't know. Well, it's a, good, it's a good um, it's a good segment, and we know many people are waiting on it. But there, there is still another. Uh, I wouldn't mind touching on the uh, Carlton Eagles games game because I think it will be a very close kind of contest. Eagles have lost a couple in a row. They're away from home. They're playing Carlton at the SCG, so neutral ground, kind of unfamiliar. Not that. 
Carlson's loss last week kind of thing kind of put him out of, you'd say, finals really contention. But um, I think it will be a, I think that will be an interesting clash. And the um, the punters have Carlton currently at a dollar eighty, I think, to two dollars to yeah. West Coast. So it will be a tight contest. So yeah, does anyone else have any thoughts on that game? Uh, and I looked at this game earlier too, um, and I thought it was an interesting one. Tony, do yeah. you think a, another similar question to the Melbourne? Um, Melbourne Brisbane question. Do you think the SCG suits Carlton more? Uh, yeah, I'd say for this game it does because um, the SCG is typically a centre bounce sort of ground. So if you get win the centre bounce and get it forward quickly, it'll benefit you. Um, and Eagles just have so many injuries with their midfield at the moment, especially with Kelly going down. Um, so I think for that reason and playing at the SCG, you probably just give the slight tick to Carlton but only slight like Carlton they don't get blown out of games so it will be tight it will be competitive but they also don't blow teams out either so yeah should be either team will win by under two goals I reckon um, what did you take from Carlton's performance um, last round Hayden I'm done with them, mate. I literally put my eggs in their <laughs> basket all year thinking, yep, this will be the round, this will be the round, this will be the round. And, and, and to see him, to see him leading for the majority of that game and then to drop it, you know, in, in an almost exact Carlton way, you know, like it's just, I don't know. I, I, I honestly feel for the fans, really. It's um, it's quite sad, you know, and, and like, you know, I played him up last week saying, they really need to win this game, and you know, like at, at halftime when I was looking at this, like just before halftime, I'm like, oh yeah, they're looking alright, you know. Like, um, mm. I I didn't fully watch the game, um, because it was clashing at the same time as another game. Was that the Richmond game at the same time? I think one of the games. Um, and yeah, then, there was two games. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, so I was kind of just watching the scoreline in the bottom right corner of another game. Oh, yeah. Um, but. I actually thought, yeah, they're looking good, and then just in true Carlton form, them to drop off the way they did, and obviously this the Swans are playing exciting footy, and for them to actually bring it back the way they did, you know, good on them, you know, hats off to them. They're playing a ripper season at the moment, but yeah, I just don't know. I just feel sorry for Carlton fans, you know, like the, every year it seems like they do this big recruiting, and then it just doesn't just doesn't work the way everyone thinks it's gonna work. Well, speaking of uh, Carlton fans, did you uh, speak with Scotty during the week? I imagine uh, Lockie. Did he? Did you get any thoughts of him during this game or post this game? Yeah, he was pretty um, despondent. Um, he, he mentioned, you know, starting to follow another code um, altogether, which Not I think is since I've known him, he's he's mentioned about five different times in five different years. So, yeah, you, you're spot on there, Hayden, in saying you feel sorry for the fans because. They seem to go sort of nowhere every year. Um, it's just that, but this, the list the, the list they've accumulated is very very good individually. Yeah, they're just not clicking, and yeah. I think there's a few different things where they just need to change up a few personnel um, selections where they need to just you know cut some of the dead wood. And unfortunately, there's some tough decisions to make, like Mark Murphy, Eddie yeah. Betts. Um, an easier one is Levo Casbolt. Um, yeah. And there's a few young players on the periphery in their VFL side that should be just like blooded straight away. Like um, I can't—I don't know his first name, but Honey, he's yeah. been on their um, emergency list for the last few weeks, and he's an excellent small forward. And I've actually watched him in the VFL a couple of times in person. 
Yeah. And um, he should be in there because as good as Eddie Betts is, um, he's a bit beyond it. Mm. Um, probably great for the leadership side of things, but I think if they want to use his leadership, they should make him a, a coach yep. rather than a player. So I think they need to cut some of the older players out, blood some youth, and use Essendon as the prime example of what they can actually do to your enthusiasm on the field. You know, Get some young players in there, get the enthusiasm going, and then... That might change things for him. I know they're only two two wins out of the uh, finals at the moment. They're on sixteen points, and then Richmond's twenty four at the bottom of the eight. Um, do you reckon it's too far now? Do you reckon it's just out? Like I know it's two games, but do you just see yeah. they're yeah. just done? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think like for them to jump over, um, jump in front of those other teams though in front of them. I just think even um, when you look at the percentage difference, like even between them and although them and say Essendon, you know, it's one game, but then you look 93.9% to 106.2. So it's really like it's an extra game that they have to win to even overtake them into ninth. And then you go realistically, are you seeing Richmond drop out or West Coast drop out? And even if they do, it'll most likely be to your GWS or your Essendon or even um, your Fremantle uh, are on top or higher up than what Carlton are. So I think it's just that bridge too far. Like they need a big run to kind of put themselves up there. And I think losing the one like last week where you are in front of the game and you can't hold the lead. um, Yeah, it just makes it way too difficult for them. So I I don't think they're in finals contention. No. My take from Carlton is I just think they're a bit too selfish. Um, They they remind me a bit of like Melbourne um, last year where they're not playing as a team. They've just got individuals who want to do their own thing. Like you see so many times, like backmen may make a silly mistake in defense. If it's not Plowman, it's Doherty. If it's not Doherty, it's someone else. But they're just not gelling and playing as a unit. They're more rather looking out for themselves. There's no general connection. And and it just doesn't seem like it's from the top, you know, from the head of like the coaching department all the way down through the squad, you know, like when we're talking about genuine care before with your Essendon and your Melbourne and all that, you, you just don't see that type of, like, pick up your own player and, like, get on with the job with Carlton. They just... Um... Yeah. I think, Tony, I think you're spot on. And I think it's an overall um, game style picture that they're lacking and the players aren't on board as a team, whereas I'm, I'm almost certain every single person would have targets they have to hit in their contracts to make sure they get signed on and they're all aiming for those individual things but that broader picture it's either non-existent or it's too hard to buy into and follow or they're just not capable of doing it so as you said i think they're doing what they have to individually but in doing so that's hurting the whole game style of the club crazy if you look at their list like you you like read the individual names you sit there and go well they're, they're pretty stacked at either end of the field you know you've got your weedering uh jones and all that down the back and then you and, and williams if you actually put him inside as like the big names down there and then you've got you know mckay and bloody um bets and all that at the front uh, and then obviously charlie kerno to come back one day eventually hopefully in the next three years sometime um but yeah i just uh, They've got the talent. They just can't gel. They, they... Does that have to fall on the coach then? Does there have to be more I, I, criticism I so. to some extent where they've they've chosen to go down the path with a younger kind of coach, a bit less tried and 
tested, but while he was caretaker coach, it was very reasonable, and you can see exactly why he got why he got the job. But depending on where they want to go and whatnot, where where do they draw the line? And uh, yeah, so do do you think that Teague should be copping a bit more flack, or I, I think so because uh, like I'm not trying to be a dick to Teague because I, I like Teague to be honest, but I think when he got that um when he had to take over and whatnot. All he did game plan wise, and it's what the media said for like those four or five wins they got in a row, was he put the players where they're meant to be playing. That's all he did. Like he didn't really change structure of their game plan. He just put, you know, Mark Murphy back in the midfield. He put blah, blah, blah here. Like uh, he put, you know, all these players back where they were. Because, like, you know, um, was it Bolton before him? I can't remember now. They've gone through that many coaches. Um, whoever it was. Malthouse and someone else. They had Malthouse and Bolton. Yeah. I think Bolton just had him in front, like Mark Murphy forward line, and then like now Teague's Teague's kind of gone down that track again, and it's just uh, I don't know if it's above Teague that's kind of getting like Does persuaded he, into this type of stuff. But more support, maybe around him, more experience I, I, around him yeah, to help. Hundred percent, hundred percent. He needs more support around him. You know, he's he's a fresh coach in a sense. He's not fresh, but I just think he does need some support around him. I think that, yeah, I didn't even I didn't even know who their um assistant coaches are. But John Barker. Barker. I don't think being like Brett Brett Ratton Bratton Brett Ratton, sorry. Um Ben Rutten yeah. was copying the same stuff. He was copying all this criticism and doubt sure. doubtfulness about him being this brand new coach, not having a lot of experience. Um and it's it's amazing how quickly it turns once, you know, people start seeing some results. I think the counter argument to that is the clubs are in completely different positions. Yep. Like you, you look at the lists, and they should be in the top eight. I agree. Yeah, you know, even pushing top four with the demographic and talent pool that they've got. So inherently, the becomes way more pressure on a coach. Um, but at the same token, like, yeah, he doesn't have any experience. Like he has experience as a head coach in VFL, but not AFL. So it's hard. In saying that, I don't think Teague's the only problem, though. I think the recruitment was pretty poor. Like, to go after two half-back flankers when you've already got Nick Newman, who you just went after the year before, um, and you've got Sam Doherty, who's one of the best in the game, too. Why would they go after two more half-back flankers? Like, you can't play four attacking half-back flankers in the defense and expect to lock teams down, which I think is exact, exactly the problem they've got at the moment. Mm. I think well, what are their what's their scoring like in terms of the overall points scored? Uh, so surely they're pretty got, high. They've got nine hundred and forty three points for. So that's the second and, highest. Uh, they're higher than Richmond in eighth. Yep. And it's the second highest in the bottom eight, behind yes, yes, Essendon. Yep. So they're score they're scoring really well, but yep. what's their points against? Thousand and four. So, That's a uh, lot of points. And, one of the highest, and one of I, four teams to that, concede and, over, or five teams to concede over a thousand. And I don't put that down to defence a bit. I put that down to midfield defence because, like, it is the ball that's coming in that needs to be slowed down. Um, defenders, that's true. Th- their defenders are good one-on-one defenders. Like you, 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 look, you look at their names, and um, it, it, it's that. Midfield defense, you know, like coming back, you know, like uh, I know Walsh touches the ball a lot. Like I see him tackle too. Like, um, but you know, like are they are they getting like the defense from their midfield? You know, like 
Sorry, Walsh is a bad example. He's, he's a gun. He's, he's playing good offensive yeah. and defensive. Walsh is doing that, 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 that was a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing. But, you know, like, um, you know, um, I know Kerno sometimes play that tagging position, but is he really doing enough? Yeah, I think everyone just had false expectations. They thought Carlton are a team on the up, and then they brought in two absolute superstars, but they probably weren't the right fits for the team. That's not what they needed. Um, so expectations were high and performances been lacking. Yeah, we we had the same shit though with um with bringing Shield and um Saad before he moved on. Yeah, like we we load we absolutely loaded up for a run at the eight, like no question. Mm. Like you don't you don't bring those sorts of players in on a rebuild, and then all of a sudden we acknowledge that all right, all these players are out. Danaher, um, Saad and Fantasia, they go. Um, so who knows what's around the corner with them? But I'm fearful. I don't think he'll go, but Mackay, his um his contract is up at the end of this season. Oh, did you, mm. did you So I him? hope he's not one of those players like Essendon with Danaher and Saad that actually walks out the door. Yeah. Um because he's uh, he's probably the best player in the league right now. In yeah, terms I reckon. of did, structure. Did you hear number the, one um... free agent available at the moment? Yeah, he would be worth pretty penny. Did you hear Absolutely. the prospect um, Kane Corns threw up? Like, I know, like, Kane Corns can be a nuffy, but I actually didn't mind this. He <laughs> reckons um, Essendon should target both the Mackay brothers, and I actually think that's not a bad call. I think there's a lot of teams that should. Yeah. Like, it would be a big draw card to try and play with your brother. Imagine having those two at, uh, like, either end of you, your, you got the your King, field. you got the Kings at both ends of the field, and then you got, like, the Mackay brothers that play the opposite ends of the field. It would be good. Well, I think the I think, I, I think, I think the Kings are more likely. I think the Kings are way more likely to come to Essendon. I think they played under Matthew Lloyd uh, at mm. school. Junior, yeah, yeah. And that was another one um, in the news that I saw, Hayden. That um, Max King from St Kilda asked the cult club if he could go and get some uh, goal kicking training with Lloydy, um, <laughs> just to sharpen up. Yeah, and well, they basically told him, absolutely not. Really? And you to keep it internally, yeah. Jesus, because like they even did a comparison during the week of um the two brothers, Max and Ben, is it? Um, yeah. Is ben... Max is a Saint Kilda, isn't he? He's yeah, not the other way around. Yeah, Max is Max is Saint Kilda, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, they had literally, and the best thing is because they're identical twins, they had the comparison like side by side of them doing their drop, um, like when they're doing their actual drop punt, um. The drop of the ball, you can see like they'll show they're pinpointing like where he was going wrong because Max puts his shoulder really far forward, which kind of changes the ball drop. Uh, it was it was actually pretty funny like the way they compare it because you've got the two of the exact same bloke wearing two different jerseys, so that was pretty good to see. But yeah, no, they, they definitely think he needs to, and that, like you said, it would be good to get Lloydy to just go ahead and fix that, you know, for him. That that would be great for him. But yeah, to shut down that that down. I can understand why they would. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, should we get the ball rolling towards our dickheads and unsung heroes? All right, yeah, sure. Tony. I know you got a dickhead of the week. What about right. what about Tony's uh, big multi? Or that, that's at the end, mate. That's at the end. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, I already got it written down here. I know. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I've got a couple of dickheads for the week. Um, so I just like to set the scene. So us in Melbourne have been. Obviously stuck in lockdown, so got news that we we're going for the fourth round of lockdowns over the weekend. So I thought, oh great, what is there to do? Um, not much. I watched the footy, 
So I tune in to the footy, the first game on the Saturday, Collingwood, Geelong. Like, oh yeah, this should be a good game. And then what happens? Well, two coaches decide to have a snooze off and just play players behind the ball and just chip around on the side. So I, I lasted halfway through the second quarter and then had to switch off and then was turned off for football for the rest of the weekend. So my dickhead of the week goes to Chris Scott and Nathan Buckley. <laughs> come on, seriously. Come on, we're in that's a surprise. Tony calling uh, <laughs> Scott Dickhead of the Week but how many times in a row when he's been oh, mate, on the show, is he? Maybe he shouldn't be a dickhead if he doesn't want to be called Dickhead. Man, I? I can't wait for the one week where Chris Scott isn't the Dickhead of the Week. <laughs> mate, me too. Chris Scott, pull your finger out. Try and be a nice bloke for once. <laughs> uh, who else did you Dickhead of the Week? It was, a, it was a terrible game, so all credit to it. Yeah. Did you, did you have any other dickheads? Nah, they turned me off football for the rest just, of the week. Just the two yeah. catches. Uh, okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, it wasn't the year. Well, if I had a dickhead of the week, it's probably the media. I'm already over this whole, like, even though I brought it up before, but this whole comparing Jack Rewalt's mark to, like, the top 10 marks of all time at the moment with, like, you know, like, obviously Moorcroft is number one. And then, like, you Ash. know... They're putting him up with Andrew, uh, is it Walker from bloody Carlton, who's, like, like, these are all great marks, don't get me wrong, but I just... Even his cousin? People even comparing it better than Nick's, like, I mean, come on, really? It wasn't. It was, it was a great <laughs> mark, I'm not taking anything away from Jack, but it's just the way the media is, just, like, uh, on the AFL app every day, I see the same shit, just comparing those marks, and I'm like, no, it's it was a great mark, but it's not... Those appreciate it, mate. It is. That's yeah, exactly. don't, don't let the truth get in the way of good story. Exactly. <laughs> it's what the human nature, uh, isn't it? So, to always yeah. compare. Sally Papers, mate. That's that's it. It. Who's got bigger this? Who's worth more of that? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. Right. Anyone else got a ticket of the week, or we go to unsung heroes? Well, my unsung no, hero, and we actually already touched on him, so it's going to be a pretty quick one. Is Mitch Robinson. Um, Second barometer of that club, um, four goals. What was it? Thirty-five disposals. I think you said. I think thirty, 30 officially. I looked it up. It was thirty. Yeah. Thirty. So thirty. Really high. Disposals four and, goals. And, and I think it was his milestone game. So what a game from him, and he's my unsung hero for the week. Beautiful. Any other unsung heroes? The other. No, no. As I said, I, I did zero prep for this. Of the, week. <laughs> the, the other. Sorry, what were you going to say, Tony? Oh, you go. I have a dickhead too, but kind of another one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who to target though. Like, uh, uh, the other unsung hero would be probably the um, Sydney girl. Well, actually, sorry, Isaac Heaney. Uh, during the week, that Sydney little girl got the ball after a, a goal was kicked, was it, or a behind? Or ball went out of play. I can't remember. I wasn't really watching the game. Like, I did see the footage though. And uh, during the week, uh, the family went down to the. Um, training session and Isaac Heaney gave her a ball after it was taken off her by her father right. and thrown back in. Yeah, it was good. It's good to see that. Good Shout out to Heaney there. Yeah, nice good bloke. Fan, fan for life after that. Good bloke. I think yeah. mum loved it more. Yeah, I think <laughs> so too. Tony, you dickhead? Yeah, well, um, I don't know really who to target, but whoever at the AFL who thought it would be a good idea to have Aboriginal, the Sir Douglas um, round, the Douglas. Indigenous 
around over two weekends. Like, what was the point of that? You had some games where the teams would wear an indigenous jumper, um, and then other games where there was none. Like, just make it one round. Like, I know there's a lot to contribute, and they've done a great job, but it kind of took away from the event and mm, the magic around that round when, yeah, you then have games where no teams are wearing the indigenous jumper and celebrating the event. So oh, I think it came down to really poor oversight of um, management of the jumpers and who was playing who. Because I think yeah. there was a, f- a few query clashes. clashes. Well, in um, the Richmond game, no team was wearing it. Not Richmond, not Adelaide. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't make sense then at all. No. I think they were just say um, Richmond would have been saving it for this round. Yeah, that's true. Um, and they would have looked ahead and gone, oh, nah, we'll wait for the clash with Essendon. Yeah. yeah. But if you're having, like, Sir Douglas, the mm. Indigenous round, surely Dreamtime at the G's got to be part of that round. Yeah. And then Port Adelaide just had a, a huge um, copyright issue with theirs. <laughs> Did you hear yeah, about that? I did hear about that. How supposedly, I think it was a schoolgirl designed it and yeah. displayed it somewhere like last year and then someone's flogged it off and entered it in their competition because yeah. they did a yeah a public competition and then when they got cho- chosen, this girl retweeted out going, hey, this is my artwork. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> How have they stolen this? So, bit of a kerfuffle there. Uh, just to add on to the, to the fact about the two weekends of uh, the Indigenous round, uh, the Doug Nichols, Sir Doug Nichols round, is uh, one good thing I'd say from it is that we just get to see some Indigenous jumpers uh, worn for more than just one week. Because to be honest, I think they some of them are so good that they almost should be like the Clash jumper. Like, for example, the Bombers one. Like, I know you guys love the sash, but even just I'm looking at it at the moment. Mm. I just love what it depicts and what it stands for and the meaning behind the jumpers instead of... Like, a lot of the Clash jumpers are just whatever. Like, you know, they're just, oh, we'll just put a pretty design on it or whatever it is. There's no real meaning behind it and it is literally just for a Clash. But if you can design a Clash jumper with Indigenous art or with a story behind it or something that means something to the players or the fans or whoever, I think it's... I I love them. Like, I got my Geelong um, Indigenous jumper from last season. I just love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's better than our normal jumper (laughs) to some extent that it's just, um, it's great. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. If one team has like the home jumper for um, Indigenous round one year, then the next year they wear the away one. Like it just it should be simple. Just don't yeah. overcomplicate things. Keep it simple. Let everyone have a turn. Mm. Beautiful. Well, now it's time for Tony's multi. Oh yeah, <laughs> our favourite segment. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll just uh, we'll make some big cash. Yeah, big cash. Got to put it on our uh, on our sports bet our group sports bet account. I bet we made account. How's that going anyway? I've, I've got a on last week. I've got what? Say, so, say again. Was a bet placed last week for that? I got no idea. We'll have to ask uh, Noodles about. It. I don't think it was, to be honest, because I kind of had a semi peak over and I saw that the balance didn't change. So we'll, we'll have, have to. Have Joel keeps trying to hammer Hawthorne in for a win. No, Joel, it's not happening. Hawthorne are winning in another game for the year. I think what are they two and eleven or something? <laughs> like, for win this week with a boy. <laughs> if you want to film, we're better off donating it to the homeless guy. The- <laughs> it's true. Better in his pocket than sports, but which, which might be Clarko soon. <laughs> he'll, he'll have Collingwood's offer if he if he leaves Hawthorne. He'll just oh, you're right. Straight into Victoria Park. Well, yeah, multi well, maybe it's bucks. Let's get into it. Anyway, go for your multi, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got Doggies to beat Frio, just head-to-head, straight up. 
and then because there aren't many games, so we've got a few. Is there anything? Is there, so is there any other like parts of that like legs in that multi with the dogs for you? No, Josh Bruce three goals. No, I'm just pressing the hard. Oh, Mind you, actually, Freo, Freo don't have a defense. Three, but... <laughs> hey, man, he had four touches for the game. You were more lucky than I was. Like, to be honest. If for someone to have four touches for the game and kick three goals, that's just pure luck. What a gun. <laughs> I called it. <laughs> did, when did he, did he get, like, two goals in the last quarter, or did he, like, just ask them, or...? Did he just ask him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've been watching last quarter, so I'm, I legit have no idea. Uh, All right, well, let's get into the multi. So, yeah, like I was saying, there's a few same game multis we've gone with because there's so few games this week, so we're trying to maximize the value. So the first leg is Doggies to beat Frio, which we touched on, and then we've got a two-leg same game multi. We've got Adelaide to win. And then we got Darcy Fogarty to be an anytime goal scorer. The guy just doesn't miss, so if he gets a shot on goal, it's going through the sticks. Um, that same game multi is paying a dollar eighty. Um, and then we've got a three-leg same game multi. We're going Saints at the line, which is eighteen and a half. Um, that'll be a tight game against Sydney. Both teams like to play tight, enclosed, t- tight fought contests. I think I yeah yeah. Um, and then we're going with Jake Lloyd and Jack Steele for 25 or more touches, both in good form. That leg is $4.33. And then the final leg is a two-leg same-game multi for Dreamtime at the G. We're going Shy Bolton for anytime goal scorer. And then we're going Jack Graham for 15 or more disposals. Um, and all up, if you add those eight legs, which we touched on, it's paying $20.57. Beautiful. Put your house on it, everyone. Tony's, bad. Tony's been nailing them all year. Beautiful. <laughs> Every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, um, that's the uh, final siren, and uh, it's time to make our crazy predictions for the round. Anyone want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to kick us off this week, lads. Yeah. Let me uh, wait. I should scull my beer, actually, because I do have one here. So give me one sec. <laughs> no worries. Okay, all right, let's get into it. So I've got a few players that I think are going to dominate this week in terms of possession. So if anything, someone could jump on it on the same game. Oh, well, not same game, but on a multi-bet they want it. But I think there's going to be a few midfielders that go huge this weekend. So I'm tipping Oliver, Lyons, Merritt and McRae all 35 plus disposals this week. And then just to throw them for good measure as well, I'm going to go uh, Callum Mills for 30 plus as well. So that's my uh, big prediction for the week. I might have to jump on sports bet and see if that's paying a decent amount. I'm going to go with Max King to straighten up his kick in, kick a bag of six, and Brad Hill, if he isn't dropped, uh, to get 30-plus disposals. Ooh. 30-plus, six from 30. That's a big jump. Big jump. (laughs) Very big jump. Alright, um, I'm going to go with... Oh, what am I going to go with? Uh, draw Friday night. Oh, yeah, you already called that, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> no, what else? It's a good call. It's a good call. I would have said it if you didn't earlier. So, um, 
My one is going to be the Eagles are going to move Liam Ryan into the midfield. He'll get 25-plus disposals and kick two-plus goals. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. That's prediction. That's cool. very, yeah. I, like that. I reckon. Very nice. I like the theory behind it. All right. Well, that's us from AFLaholics. Hope you have a good weekend of footy, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. See you later. You can find these three idiots on their socials, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook under AFLaholics. Kiss your dad on the lips for me, and we will see you in the next one.